was a prophet. He was also the cousin of Jesus. He was very bold in his commitment to the Lord, confronting the king with his indiscretion. John Baptist came to King Herod and declared to him that his marriage to his brother, her brother's wife Herodias was unlawful. What had happened is that Herod had gone to see his brother in Rome. While he was there, he seduced his wife. He persuaded her to leave Philip and accompany him, which she did. He went back home, divorced his wife, and married Herodias. When John Baptist came to King Herod, he said, what you have done is unlawful. He had broken the Jewish law. Well, needless to say, that did not set well with the king. And so he had John Baptist arrested. He was imprisoned. And then, as you know the story, he had him beheaded. Barclay wrote, Herod, like every weak and suspicious and frightened tyrant, could think of no way of dealing with a possible rival other than killing him. When word came to Jesus that John Baptist had been beheaded, then Jesus withdrew from the people to confront his own grief. Barclay wrote, he was seeking rest for his body and strength for his soul in the lonely places. Sometimes we don't think of Jesus going through some of the same emotions that we experience But because he was also human, he also dealt with human emotion. So as a result of his cousin's death, he withdrew to deal with his own grief. While he was going through this grieving process, the multitude came to Jesus and Jesus paused from his grief to minister to them. And that brings us to our text today. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning in verse number 13. Now, the the first 12 verses in this chapter deals with the execution of John Baptist. And then in verse number 13, it says, Now, when Jesus heard it, and that is speaking of the death of John Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself, And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, The place is desolate and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate aside from women and children. 
Now, in this passage of Scripture, you are familiar with the story. You are familiar with the miracle. And I want you to see with me the steps that brought them to this miracle. In verse 14, it says, And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. The word saw that is used there means to see and to know. In other words, when Jesus saw the multitude, he did not just see their faces, he saw their needs. So the scripture says that Jesus saw the multitude that had come to him and he knew their needs and the Bible says, and he felt compassion for them. If there is one characteristic that should be common to a believer, it is compassion. Doug Murren wrote, the reason that we are not winning this world to Christ and ministering as we should is because of a lack of compassion. He wrote, two million people die every year. Only about 200,000 of those die knowing Jesus as their Savior. Folks, how is it that we who have received the gospel of Christ are not more passionate, more diligent, in sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ. Is it that we have forgotten the seriousness of sin? Is it that we have forgotten the suffering of hell? You see, when we lack compassion for people, then we don't feel that constraint to share the gospel with them. Jesus was moved with compassion. Premanad, the great Christian from India, wrote, As in the days of old, so now our message to the non-Christian world has to be the same, that God cares. I'm afraid sometimes that that is not the message we give to our world. Sometimes the message that we proclaim, at least in their minds, is more that God condemns when we need to give the message that God cares. When I read through the Gospels and I look at the life of Jesus, I see that he was always moved with compassion. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, another example says, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. The visual that Jesus gives there is that of a sheep that is being chased by dogs. And when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he saw them as sheep being pursued by dogs. And the Bible says that he was moved by compassion. Jesus was always moved, motivated by compassion, caring for people. Probably many of you saw the series that was on recently, the Bible, and As I watched that, I I confess to you there were times that my heart was so touched that I was was moved to tears. And one of those times was when Jesus was on the cross dying for the sins of mankind. And I was touched by his compassion for his mother. I knew the story. But, But to see the depiction there on television of his compassion for his mother touched my heart. As he said to John, John, she is your mother. Take care of her. He cared for her. 
even though he was dying, even though he knew all about eternity, he was moved with compassion. And then as he was suffering on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind, and one of the thieves dying alongside him turned and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know, that is the greatest statement of faith, I think, in the Bible, because there was nothing to give him reason to have faith in Jesus. Jesus was dying the same death that he was dying, but he had faith. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus saw the multitude, he saw and knew, and he knew their need was compassion. You and I need to see our world through the eyes of compassion that they need compassion. But when Jesus looked at his followers, the disciples, he saw their need and their need was faith. Look at verse 15. When it was evening, the disciples came to him, saying, The place is desolate, the time is past. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They needed faith to minister. You know, sometimes our faith is weak, or sometimes we lack faith because we are feelers. And uh, we are motivated more by feeling. I, I talk to people, some, well, I, you, know, I'm, you know, I just, whenever I feel like it, then I'm going to do something. Whenever I feel it, then I'm going to witness. Whenever I feel it, then I'm going to make this commitment. Whenever I feel it. So sometimes we like the faith that is important because we are motivated by feelings. There was a little girl who had a toothache. Her mother thought she would take the opportunity to teach her about faith. So the mother said to her, if you had the faith I have, you wouldn't have a toothache. The little girl said, if you had the toothache I have, you wouldn't have any faith. <laughs> well, sometimes the truth is we, our faith is weak because we are waiting for a feeling to act. And Jesus has not called us to live by feelings. Sometimes our faith is weak or we lack faith. Because we are figurers. We want to figure everything out. Everything has to work together. We have to figure this out. We have to understand this. So we are waiting to figure it out. Mark gives his account of this story. In Mark chapter 6 verse 37. He answered and said to them. You give them something to eat. And they said to him. Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and Give them something to eat. Now the question was, Jesus, you want us to feed these people? Do you realize that that would take a working man's salary for just about a year to feed these people? They immediately got out their calculators. They began to try to figure it out. How are we supposed to feed these people? It would take a working man a year to be able to provide the bread for these people. Jesus, don't you know that the numbers just don't work? Uh, we, we have all of these people here, thousands of people here. You want us to feed them. The numbers don't work because they were figures. One of the things that I'm grateful for, and I'm sure that you are as well, we have a wonderful finance committee in our church. I have a lot of confidence in these people. And they, uh, there are two characteristics about them that I really appreciate. One, they are people of faith. 
They really believe in the Lord. And secondly, they are people who have good business sense. You see, we don't just go out and make decisions without considering the business. And we are not trapped by the business that keeps us from responding in faith when the Lord leads us. Both are important. So whenever I look at this, there are, there are some people whose faith is weak and they don't do what the Lord has called them to do. Some because they're waiting on a feeling to respond. Some because the numbers don't work. They're trying to figure it out. Jesus has not called us to live by feelings. He has not called us to live by figuring. He has called us to live by faith. The lad who gave his lunch did so because he had faith. I don't know that he understood it all, and I don't think the disciples took his lunch away from him. I think he gave his lunch because he had faith. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Gideon. I have, I have loved Gideon even before, um, before I started going to church and all those things. There was a Hallmark movie on Back when I worked in television, a long time ago, Peter Ustinov played Gideon in that. And I, I've loved Gideon ever since. He was an interesting guy. I think he was a funny guy. Maybe that's the reason that I, I like him. But Gideon was called by God and, and, and said, I, I want you to deliver my people from the Midianites. He, he called him a man of valor, which is funny because Gideon was hiding in the wine press. There was not anything that suggested courage concerning Gideon. He was hiding. And so he said, man of valor, I want you to do this and so forth. Now, Gideon said, Lord, I, you know, he struggled with it. He said, Lord, I, you know, I think you have the wrong one. He said, I'm from the smallest tribe in all of Israel. My family's the smallest family in that tribe. And he said, I'm the baby in the family and you want me to do this. I think you have the So he struggled and you probably remember the story. It's a wonderful story. But he still responded in faith. He couldn't figure it out. I can promise you that. And he certainly didn't feel like it. But he responded in faith. When the Lord said to Isaiah, who will go for me? Who shall I send? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That was a response of faith. In fact, in in the words that are used there, it's like Isaiah's jumping up and down like a little boy with his hand in the air saying, here am I, send me, let me do it. He responded in faith. So Jesus here in this passage of scripture saw the multitude and the scripture says that he saw their needs and their need was for compassion. He saw the disciples, their need was faith. And then we see in verse number 17, and they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. So they took inventory. Jesus said, you feed them, and they took inventory. The circumstances were not favorable. Verse 15, it was evening. The disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate. Time has already passed. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy foods for themselves. They said, the place is desolate. They looked around. There's not a McDonald's in sight. There's nothing there. The place is desolate. They're out in the wilderness. The time has passed. The supper bell had already rung. I mean, they were getting hungry. Send them home that they might provide for themselves. But do you notice what Jesus said there in verse 16? They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The pronoun you is emphatic. It means you and you alone provide them something. There are no grocery stores out there. There's no McDonald's out there. There's nothing out there. Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. 
You give them something to eat. Now, isn't it interesting that when the Lord calls on us to do something, that we never have adequate resources? Have you noticed that? That when the Lord... I guess, he's, I guess that's because he's making us do something in faith because the Bible says without faith it's impossible. Please him, but we never have the resources. Verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and, and two fish. Lord, all we have is five loaves of bread and a couple of fish down here. How are we supposed to feed these people? We don't have the resources to feed these people. Another story that I love in the Old Testament is the story of Elijah when he was sent to the widow of Zarephath. And uh, he, he went to the widow and asked her for a piece of bread, but she didn't have adequate resources. In fact, 1 Kings seventeen twelve says, But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar, and behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said, look, give me a piece of bread. I'm starving to death. She said, you're starving to death. My son and I are about to prepare a little bit for ourselves, and then we're going to die. We're starving to death. The resources were inadequate. It's always true for the church, isn't it? We never have what we need. Every year when we prepare the budget, we go through the same formula. In fact, I get tickled sometimes Steve goes through it. You know, I mean, he can give our financial report for the rest of the year if you ask him to. In fact, he does it sometimes when you don't ask him to. But at any, any rate, you know, we, we never have. We're preparing the budget. It's always the same. We say to the staff, this is where we begin. We say to the staff, all right, what do you believe that God is leading you to do this year? And, and uh, prepare your budget, and then we put them all together. Well, every time that they come back, then we say, you know, this doesn't look like it's going to work. We're going to need to reduce some things over here. We're going to have to cut out some things over here. Tripp, I don't guess you've ever gotten what you've asked for, have you? There's a reason for that. <laughs> we just never, I mean, <laughs> he doesn't know. He doesn't, Tripp knows nothing about money. But he always asks big, you know, I mean, he, he, he never comes in with a small budget. He always asks big, and we always have to say, that trip, you're going to have to cut that back. We never have enough. We never have enough for missions, what we'd like to do as far as missions is concerned. Never have enough for ministries is what we'd like to do as far as ministries is concerned. Now, I told you that in a year from now that I'm going to come back and ask you to prayerfully consider building two new buildings. I'm going to be a prophet now. I can prophesy now that when I ask you that, we ain't going to have the money. I mean, we're not. That's just the way that it works. Our resources are never there at the time because the Lord causes us to act in faith. So, well, we don't have anything here but a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. That's all we've got. Resources are inadequate. But then look at verse number 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. Now, here's the question. How do you go from not enough to they all ate? Isn't that what we want to do? How do we go from we don't have enough, we only have five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and yet the Bible says that thousands were fed and they were satisfied. How do we get there? Go to the bank and borrow the money, right? 
Bucky's down here shaking his head. No, that's not what we do. How do we get there? Well, first of all, we look to heaven. We look not at our resources, but at his. Look at verse number 19. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Do you notice there that Jesus looking up to heaven? Because that's where the provision is. It's always there, ladies and gentlemen. It's always there. He looked to heaven. The psalmist understood that. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist understood that it is the Lord who is the provider. In verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel... Ladies and gentlemen, that is such an important lesson for us to learn, that it is the Lord. He is the provider, and He is the protector. In verse number 7, the psalmist said, The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. What's your need? If you're a believer, what's your need? I I don't know. That's a rhetorical question. What's your need? What is your need? Because what I want you to understand is that the provision for your need is in heaven. When Linda and I had started in ministry, and I've told you this story before, but it it has been a a sort of staple with me through the years. We took this little bitty church. We had two kids. I'm in school, and and, uh, I'm making $100 a week. And even back then, that wasn't much money. Not when you're trying to pay for school and have two children and so forth. And uh, there were those times when we really struggled. You know, how are we going to make it? How are we going to how how are we going to pay our bills? How are we going to you know how how are we going to get by? And I was reading a book by Oral Roberts. Now, there's a lot about Oral Roberts, his theology that I don't agree with. But there was this one statement that he said in there that was worth the price of the book for me. He said it was a great day for me when I realized. That the church was not my source. God was. That's looking to heaven. I I don't know what your need might be today. But I know that the provision is in heaven. And so the scripture says that he looked to heaven. And then he gave thanks. Verse number 19 says he blessed the food. Now did you notice that Jesus did not complain. We've only got five loaves and a couple of fish here. What have you guys been doing? Did you know that we're going to have to have more than that? He didn't complain. He gave thanks for what he had. There was a 17th century Dutch artist who painted a painting titled, Old Woman at Prayer. You might be familiar with it. It depicts an old woman at her kitchen table. She is seated with a half loaf of bread in front of her and a small bowl of soup. The inspiration for that painting was that he had met a very poor woman who invited him to join her in a meager meal. She had a half a loaf of bread and a small bowl of soup, but she shared it with the artist. After she had prayed, she looked at the artist and smiled 
and said, all this and Jesus too. Wouldn't you like to be like that? Rather than complaining all the time about what I don't have, all this and Jesus too. He gave thanks. Something else I noticed is that he understood brokenness in verse number 19, breaking the loaves. Folks, one of the great lessons of of Christianity is to learn that God uses brokenness. Uh, In fact, the scripture says in Psalm 51, 7, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. I used to hear preachers say that God can't use you till he breaks you. Scared me to death. It probably does some of you too. God can't use you unless he breaks you. You know what? I'm not saying that uh, 100%. That's probably true. Because God uses brokenness. And, and, And I look at this story and I see that the loaves were broken and then they were multiplied. But they had to be broken before they were multiplied. And that seems to be true throughout Scripture. You recall the story of of the woman who had the alabaster vial of perfume. That she brought it to anoint the feet of Jesus. But the box had to be broken. The Scripture says there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. So before the ointment came out, before the perfume came out, before the fragrance came out, it was broken. It was broken. Do you remember the men who were going to bring their friend to Jesus? When they got there, there was a great crowd. And they couldn't get their friend to Jesus, so they went up on the roof and broke the roof. And they let their friend down through the roof. It was broken. Jesus' body was broken for the sins of man. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There is the value of brokenness. And then something else I see is that Others were served first. In verse number 19b, the scripture says, He blessed the food and breaking the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. Uh, I'm sure that the boy was hungry, but he gave his lunch and waited. I'm sure that the disciples were hungry, but they fed others first. In other words, before we indulge ourselves We're called to serve others. It has been said, and rightly so, one who is wrapped up in himself is a small package and miserable as well. I I find people all the time, no matter how much they have, when they get wrapped up in themselves, they are the most miserable people I know. It is through serving others that we find satisfaction. Now, look at verse number 20. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken uh, pieces, 12 full baskets. How many disciples were there? Twelve. How many baskets of leftovers? Twelve. Ladies and gentlemen, We're never cheated when we are generous. You never come up short by being generous. You remember the woman who anointed the feet of Jesus with the perfume? 
And then she took her hair and she dried his feet and the perfume came back on her. That's the way the blessings of God works. We are never hurt by being generous. Now let me conclude very quickly. Sometimes God allows our needs to be greater than our resources. True with the multitude here. Their need was greater than the supply, and it could be with you that you have needs that are greater than your abilities. Probably so. But here's the good news. As believers, we have a Savior who is greater than our needs. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. How do we go from not enough to all eight? First of all, you look to heaven because that's where the provision lies. It's not in your bank account. You may not have one next week. It's not in your retirement. It's in heaven. You look to heaven. Give thanks for what you have. Don't sit around complaining about what you don't have. Give thanks for what you do have. Understand the value of brokenness. Serve others first, and there are blessings. It is as we give ourselves away that we walk in the Spirit of Christ. As we tell others of Jesus, as we give ourselves, then you are walking in the Spirit of Christ. Our gracious Father in God, we come to you at this time thanking you for your blessings, your goodness, your provision. Father, that you are the provider, you are the protector. Help us to learn to to look to you. Not just our abilities, not just our five loaves and two fish, but to look to you. Father, I pray today for these who have needs that are greater than their resources that they would find those needs met in Jesus as they are obedient to you. Bless this time of invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you today to commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand and sing, you come, I'll greet you should do.